Welcome to Theology for the Broken Church with the Broken Vessels podcast. states, and the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand, and he reworked it into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to do. This is the Broken Vessels Podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Simpkins. This is a podcast where we have discussions on theological themes for the broken to bring encouragement and hope in Christ. And I would like to welcome you back to the latest episode of Theology for the Broken Church with the Broken Vessels podcast with me, your host, Joshua Simpkins, and uh, my buddy, Brad Kafer, who is uh, here with me today. Hey, Brad, how you doing? I'm doing well, brother. It's good to be back doing this again. Amen. Amen. Well, we have a really great topic that we are going to talk about today that kind of piggybacks off of what we talked about on our last Theology for the Broken Church episode, where we talked about when Calvinism goes wrong and how Calvinism can go wrong. We really talked about the importance of having sound theology and sound doctrine and sound orthodoxy, and how when it's not sound, it can be twisted and it can be used in a way that is, in a sense, weaponized against God's flock and used in a way that if it's not rightly understood, understood, it can bring a lot of brokenness to our lives. We kind of made this point in that episode that sound theology and doctrine rightly understood actually brings us healing. The church is a good thing. It brings us healing as long as it's rightly administered and understood. That's going to be the main thrust of what we're going to talk about today. And we have a great guest today. His name is the Reverend Ben Crosby. He is a PhD student in ecclesiastical history at McGill University and a priest in the Episcopal Church, currently serving in the Anglican Church of Canada. He has a particular interest in the retrieval of classical Anglican theology, liturgical spirituality, and Christian discipleship. And you can read his writing at his substack, and I'll put that link in the show notes so that you can all benefit from this, brother. Ben, we are so thankful that you came on to have this discussion with us. So welcome. Thanks so much, Joshua Brad. It's really lovely to be here. Well, I've already kind of set up what we're going to be talking about. It's so important for us to understand that theology and doctrine misunderstood most certainly brings brokenness to us in our lives. Mm -hmm. It can bring us anxiety, depression, lack of assurance. And we've shared this on this podcast over and over and over again. It's kind of the, the main thing. We talk about theological themes for the broken to bring encouragement and hope in Christ. And we talk about how those theological themes misunderstood can bring us brokenness. And so in a sense, what happens is it makes people afraid of the church when the church is where they're going to find life, because that is where we find Christ in his church. So Ben, this is a opportunity for you to maybe share a little bit of your own experience like you shared in, uh, what's the name of the article? The name of the article is What the Reformation Teaches Us About the Pastoral Nature of Doctrine. Okay. Yeah. So you shared in that article talking about your own experiences and what it was that brought you hope and healing in Christ. And so I just want you to share that with our listeners so that they have an understanding of how important doctrine really truly is rightly understood. 
Yeah, I'd be most happy to. You know, I think for me, the story is really one of the sort of journey from like having the right doctrine in one's head to really sort of believing it in one's heart, right? Like I grew up in the Lutheran church, actually. I'm an Episcopalian and Anglican now, but grew up Lutheran. And so the sort of the message of race, that God's love for you is not contingent on who you are or what you do. That was preached to me all the time. That was certainly, I think, modeled in my relationship with my family, my pastor, so on. But I have to tell you, as Luther or Calvin or really all of the great 16th century reformers could tell us the desire to try to justify ourselves, to say, well, you know, that's great that you'd accept me no matter what, but you don't need to because I'm actually going to sort myself out myself, <laughs> is, uh, is so strong that I think for me, it really took me getting to a place of desolation, frankly, to sort of really accept God's grace as pure gift. You know, I think growing up, you know, sort of moving into high school, college, you know, if someone would have asked, well, you know, what, what does your salvation consist of? I would, I would have given the right answer, right? I would have said, well, you know, all God's grace, all God's grace. But that's not how I lived my life. I was an adolescent, very, very good in school, did great in high school, got into a great college, went to that great college, was sort of ascending the ladder of success, yeah. um, as it were. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and for a while, I was actually able to be, like, pretty competent, at least sort of looked at from outside at doing a lot of things, um, doing them well. And without realizing it, I sort of got myself to a place where my sense of identity, my sense of worth was, you know, even if I would have told you, yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's in God and, and his grace. It was really in me and what I could accomplish and yeah. what I could do. And then I finally got to a point where I just couldn't yeah. anymore. You know, yeah. I had about halfway through undergrad, really this kind of combined physical and mental health crisis. I had to take some time off of school and I frankly, I I still struggle with anxiety and depression. I expect it will be part of my life to a greater or lesser extent as long as I'm uh, in this body of sin, right? That's right. uh, Yeah, and I think it was really that moment of what felt to me at my worst, my most unlovable, my least able to do anything, achieve anything, accomplish anything, and in the the sort of love showed to me by family, by church community, by others in my life. I, I think that was the moment where I really understood what the doctrine of grace was about, where it became something that moved from just being a nice idea to the thing that my life was grounded on. I find that really fascinating, what you just talked about. You had the right doctrine, even in your head, and you would affirm that doctrine with your mouth. But really, truthfully, inside, you were living a whole different kind of doctrine. And I think many of us would say the same thing. We can say, yeah, it's all the grace of God. But then in our actual praxeology, we're living to justify ourselves. I actually heard this from my pastor today as he preached. He's like, you're either going to be in complete and total despair, or you're going to think you're knocking it out of the park. (laughs) (laughs) And neither one of those is right. It's all Christ. And you are right. You come to a place where you hit that dark pit of despair, where you finally throw your hands up. You're like, I can't do it. I can do it maybe for a little while, but you can never do it consistently. Never. Because you're going to crash and burn every time. But it's in that dark, deep pit of despair. And you look up and you see the light of Christ. (laughs) That's right. You're right, man. Like That's when you feel the grace of God the deepest. And I try to remind myself of those times. When I start allowing my pride or, you know, myself to start looking at myself to think that somehow I'm contributing something. When I start getting that idea that, oh, I'm knocking it out of the park right now. And I have to remind myself, oh, but remember, it ain't you. 
it's God. <laughs> so that's really good. I'm really glad that you brought up that point. Yeah, I would just add on to that too. Like, you know, Luther talks explicitly about, you know, you can understand things like law gospel distinction on paper, but then to actually understand the gospel in your heart, in real life, in real time, it takes trials and affliction. And you're, you guys are testifying to that, and it's refreshing to hear. Something my pastor said today, well, it's in Romans. Let me flip over there real quick. So as he's giving us the consolation of the gospel, my pastor today, talking about how we have the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father, the spirit bearing witness with our spirit. And he goes on talking about, you know, like we're children and then heirs and then heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be also glorified with him. That doctrine or that theology of the cross, it's so important to understand that. The mm-hmm. theology of glory, we somehow we get this idea that we can make that theology of glory happen now. It ain't happening now. That's to come. Mm-hmm. Right now, we're in the theology of the cross. We are in the pit of suffering. Even when things are going well, suffering is always going to be there. It's just like Ben just said. He's probably going to struggle with depression and anxiety. It's just going to be a part of life. It is. You know, we're in this body of flesh. I myself still struggle with anxiety and depression. That doesn't make us less than. It doesn't make us not children and heirs and co-heirs with Christ know what that means is that we are sharing in the sufferings of our Savior who suffered in our place. We've shared the whole idea of how theology and doctrine misunderstood brings brokenness and anxiety and depression. So Ben, you know, you shared, you kind of crashed and burned. So then what Mm -hmm. was it from there that got you to the place where you understood the importance of sound theology and doctrine, changing your praxeology and changing the way that you see pastoral care and ministry and all of that? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great question. I mean, I think it came to this moment of realizing for me that what really consoled me was this message of grace and this message of grace, not just in my head, but in my heart, um, not just sort of confessed by words, but being lived out and realizing just how many of our people in our churches need that too, right? I mean, I've had pastoral conversations with people, I'm, I'm sure you both have as well, where you know people will say things like, I'm so worried about the day of judgment. Judgment because God's just going to be measuring my good deeds against my bad deeds. It's not going to be good. <laughs> they're right. not going to. They're not going <laughs> to. I'm not going to make it. And you know, and often from people who are, are faithful Christians who sort of been in the church all their lives, but who have just never had. I don't want to say they've never had it preached necessarily because I had it preached to me all the time and it didn't sink in. But this is why I think we just need to have it preached to us again and again and again, over and over again. I mean, you know, we mentioned Luther um, earlier with his idea of suffering at the heart of Christian experience. I think another thing that I appreciate a lot about Luther is his conviction that you you never get beyond the basics, right? He has, uh, I forget which of his catechisms it is, I think the large catechism, the intro to that, where he sort of talks about how every day, just like a kid, he goes back to his Lord's prayer, to his creed, to his Ten Commandments, and, you know, I think I've sort of found the same is true for me and for the people that I minister to, that you just never outgrow needing to hear both law and especially gospel, that you are, are loved and accepted and made an heir, not because of who you are or what you have done, but because of God's abundant mercy poured out for you in Jesus Christ. And I mean, that I think is the thing that the church has to offer that you can't get anywhere else, right? You can, yeah. there's, there's lots of places where you can go to get your like 10 steps to being a better person. <laughs> 
You know, there are well, plenty of places where you can go to to get music and and community on, you know, and probably at more convenient times than Sunday mornings. I think the thing that we really have that you can't get anywhere else is exactly this message of God's pure grace that accepts you and transforms you. Amen. Amen. And, you know, we as Christians, as the church, the call on the church, the ministry of the church is him we proclaim. We are called to proclaim Christ for the consolation of the saints. On this podcast, we love sound doctrine that brings hope and encouragement in Christ. And one of the things we wanted to highlight in this episode is that sound doctrine is actually given by God for the purpose of consoling us. Hmm. We, we, are, we right. are meant to be suckered to use an old English word, to be consoled by the mercy of Christ. It's meant to be our joy and our life. And so we're not just overemphasizing the subjective experience of Christians. No, the objective historical realities of the gospel for us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven and became man. And this message of Christ for us through the incarnation is death, burial, resurrection. It matters objectively outside of us. We want to get it right because getting it right matters. But God intends that that would be our life and our joy and our consolation. That's right. You reminded me, actually, what you were just saying, Brad, about Article 20 of the Augsburg Confession. It really still is sort of the primary Lutheran statement of faith, Lutheran confessional statement, where they talk about, Langton was the one who wrote it, um, sort of talks about the need for sound doctrine being, well, it's really exactly what you said, not just important for its own sake, but important for the sake of troubled consciences. I'm going to read a bit of it real quick, if you don't mind. Yes, please. Uh, There was very great need to treat of and renew the doctrine of faith in Christ to the end that anxious consciences should not be without consolation, but that they might know that grace and forgiveness of sins and justification are apprehended by faith in Christ. That's good Amen. stuff. Brad said you're going to bring the fire, and you're bringing it. All right, that's that's <laughs> awesome. Well, I want to talk a little bit more, too, about how you cannot separate our theology and doctrine, sound theology and doctrine, from pastoral care and our practice. It cannot be separated. In order for there to be healing to our brokenness, it's not only possible without separating these things, because I I feel like it's one of those things you can't have one without the other. They're a package deal. They're intertwined. And whenever people try to have one without the other, that's where we get stuck in those two ditches. It's either doctrine, 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 and we don't really care about you, or it's, oh, we love you and we care about you, and who cares about doctrine? And you can't have either one of those things. So I want to talk a little bit about that, Ben, have you kind of talk about that. And then I'd like to talk a little bit, too, about, I mean, you're an English Reformation scholar. You know, you're a guy studying about the English Reformation. Mm -hmm. In a sense, in our day and time, we've lost a lot of that really good theology that was figured out three, four, or 500 years ago that we've missed it in the church. And we need to reclaim that and recover that so that we can get back on the straight and narrow so we can get back on the road and out of the ditch. Guys like Cranmer, the common book of prayer, the comforting words. Thank God we have guys like John Fonville today, who's an Anglican priest who uh, we love here at this podcast. He's giving us that comfort, but more and more and more. This is what needs to be yelled from the rooftops, that Mm -hmm. we need this. Doctrine is good. Good doctrine is good. Bad doctrine is not. But good doctrine is good. We need it. We need Christ's church. We need each other. We need all of these things to help us to be healed. I want you to talk a little bit more about that whole separation of those things so that people can understand if, if they're in a context where it's being separated, there's a road to healing, and you have to find that. 
Yeah, I'd be glad to try to speak to that. I and mean, I think you really put it very well, right? That there is, on one hand, a, a danger of saying, we're just here to love people and, and be with people, which certainly we are called to love people and be with people. But when that gets pitted against the truth about Jesus Christ, you know, I, I think we sort of run into all sorts of trouble. I mean, oh, it's, yeah. it's unclear that we as a church then are sort of providing anything that they couldn't get from anywhere else. And then on the other side, I think we see people who are so concerned about preserving the truth in it. It's a real truth that the sort of getting doctrine right matters, that caring about its effects on people almost becomes a mark of weakness, right? That, oh, yeah. that sort of construing something in the most hard-edged way becomes a sign that you're, you know, the real deal and yeah. not one of these, I don't know, whatever, soft peddlers. But the point of all of this is as... You all said, I mean, it's to sort of console the saints. I mean, this is the, the reason that doctrine matters isn't just because it matters to say true things about God. It certainly does matter to say true things about God, but it's also a means that God has given us to bring us to himself to bring us. I mean, it's, it's, it's sort of understood not as this abstract intellectual exercise, but as a means to facilitate our discipleship, our life with God. And so yeah. I think, Amen. yeah, I think we're, whenever you go off track and in either way there, you really, you land in trouble. I totally agree with what you're saying, Ben, and, and the separation of doctrine from pastoral care is, is so tragic precisely because it is the truth that sets us free. And what was so central to the Reformation and what I've appreciated in your work and why I wanted you to join us is because you've demonstrated so clearly that within figures like Luther and Calvin, as you just read from the Augsburg Confession, and we see it also in the Heidelberg Catechism, question one, what's your only comfort in life and death? That's right. There was a pastoral concern driving the reforms of the Reformation. And at the heart of that pastoral concern was the pastoral priority of comfort. And we see that comfort within these documents, both Lutheran and Reformed. And then some people today, of course, are biblicists and they don't like crazy confessions. And of course, we take issue with that. But look at scripture itself. Look at Isaiah 40. Comfort ye my people. Look at Paul's theology in 2 Corinthians 1. You've been comforted with the comfort of Christ. You can comfort others. And so we see this doctrine of consolation is built on the prophets and the apostles of Jesus Christ being that chief cornerstone. And so comfort is the natural, and as I've already argued, God-ordained implication of the gospel. It's good news. I have a William Tyndale quote that I wanted to share. It's one of my favorites. Tyndale was, of course, burned at the stake for translating the Bible into English, but he has an introduction to his scripture, and he says, Evangelion, which we call gospels, a Greek word that signifieth good, merry, and glad, and joyful tidings, that maketh a man's heart glad, and maketh him sing, dance, and leap for joy. As when David had killed Goliath the giant, came glad tidings to the Jews, that their fearful and cruel enemy was slain, and they delivered out of all danger. For gladness whereof they sung, danced, and were joyful. In like manner is the gospel of God, joyful tidings, and as some say, a good hearing published by the apostles throughout the world of Christ, the right David, how he hath fought with sin, with death and the devil, and overcome them, whereby all men that were in bondage to sin, wounded with death, overcome of the devil, are, without their own merits or deserving, loosed, justified, restored to life, and saved, brought to liberty and reconciled to the favor of God, and set at one with him again, which tidings as many believed, laud, praise, and thank God, and are glad, sing, and dance for joy. 
So the English is a bit archaic, but he goes out of his way to say the gospel is good news of great joy that makes us happy. And we sing and we dance because Jesus, our David, defeated sin, devil, death, hell, the grave, reconciled us to God. And we're free now. Hallelujah. Amen. So when we hear that the wrath of God has been propitiated, that sin has been defeated, that all we're reconciled to the Father, we're heirs of eternal life. I mean, we're happy. We dance and we sing for joy. And so that was the heart of the Reformation was like we are rediscovering that God in Christ has set us free. Hallelujah. Yes. That's right. And I'm so glad you mentioned Tyndale there because you you talked about Lutheran and Reform and and documents talking about this. And well, whether we consider what's going on in the Church of England, a a subsection of Reform or its own thing is is a conversation for another day. But, you know, I study the English Reformation primarily, and and I think we see this absolutely not just in sources on the the continent, but in England as well. Joshua mentioned the Book of Common Prayer, its its communion service in particular, and I I absolutely agree. I mean, I think this question of consolation is absolutely Mm -hmm. at the heart of it. I mean, I I think in a lot of ways, the best way to understand what Thomas Cranmer did, really for the prayer book as a whole, certainly for the communion service, was, you know, took the sort of inherited tradition of Western worship, right? I mean, in in liturgy in particular, the Anglican Church of England is more conservative than at least most other Reformed churches, some sort of closer to the Lutheran churches in this way, but really says, okay, how can I take what we've inherited and reshape it to very clearly set forth the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is to say the good news of God's abundant grace for sinners. You know, I actually, I happened to to write a piece on this a little while ago. I give it to you so you can put it in the show notes if you like, called called A Liturgy of Comfort for the Mm -hmm. Prayer Book Society of Canada, which is an an organization up here that's dedicated to the um, continued use, the preservation of our historic Book of Common Prayer. I mean, like a lot of Anglican churches in the 70s and 80s, we moved to a lot of new um, worship materials, which both on one hand tended to, to sort of toss out the kind of archaic language, the these and nows, but also I think it's fair to say tended to have a somewhat different theological center than the earlier prayer book tradition dating back to the Reformation. And what I talk about in this piece is, you know, I, I sort of started in the last year, actually, a chapel service at McGill, where I'm uh, doing the PhD, I'm using the old Canadian prayer book and really finding both for myself, but also, you know, as I've talked to some of the other um, the people that have attended, the way in which this liturgy the theology that is not just in the words that I say, but also in how we move, um, you know, and sort of where we are in various parts of the service, that it really brings this comfort, this consolation. It's really been a a really powerful experience for me to just sort of have it confirmed anew that, yeah, you know, the liturgy was set up the way that it was for a reason, and that reason was to assure us of God's love for us. Amen. Amen. And, uh, man, this speaks so well to just recently since uh, the episode that we did on the King's Feast and the means of grace with Timothy Baird and talking about how important that means of grace is for us, how important liturgy in the church. Like, okay, so there's a, a brother who reached out to me through the Broken Vessels podcast Facebook group. He's been a Theocast listener for a couple of years. He started listening to the Broken Vessels podcast, and then he reached out to me. He's like, hey, I think you're going to the church that we want to visit. And they drove an hour from right around Bardstown, Kentucky, all the way to Lexington to come to church with us. After we got done with the service, this is his statement. He said, I have been a Christian for 12, 13 years. 
He said, today was the first day I actually went to a church. He's part of a church. He's part of a PCA church right now. They came from a Baptist background, but uh, Presbyterian brother, represent. (laughs) But he came and he, he literally said today, that was the words right out of his mouth. This is the first day I went to church. And wow. it was because wow. of the structure of our service and the mm-hmm. liturgy in our service. And as my pastor has said over and over again, it's not just the sermon that is a gospel proclamation. He said, mm-hmm. it's our whole service that is a gospel mm-hmm. proclamation. And that warmed my heart, man, dude, it just brought me so much joy to see the joy in this guy's face. Now there's a little bit of, in a sense, pain and suffering too, because they want to see a church like ours planted in their area. So they don't have to drive an hour to come receive Mm -hmm. from Christ. But, Mm -hmm. and one of the statements his wife made when we went to lunch, she said, there's churches everywhere. And then both me and my wife said, yeah, but there's not many good churches. And he was like, thank you for saying that. He said, I just wish somebody would finally have the courage to say it. (laughs) Like every, everybody wants to say, Oh no, it's okay. Like it may not be that bad, but, or it may not be that good. Or they don't want to just say, no, this is what church should be. And so like what you're talking about, sound doctrine, sound theology, our liturgies, the gospel Mm. proclamation of the church, rightly administered and understood. That is what we all need. And you are so right. Getting back to the historic writings, the creeds, the confessions, everybody wants to do something new. And it's like, dude, we don't need to do something new. We have what worked. Mm -hmm. Why are you going away Mm -hmm. from that? I think that's exactly right, that it is often a struggle, unfortunately, to find churches where the gospel of grace is sort of clearly lived forth in all parts of the church's life, from its preaching to its worship, to its teaching, to its community life together. And not that we should expect a church to do it perfectly, right? But, of course but all not. the same. Yeah, of, uh, course of course not. not. But they can always improve. Really just, they can always improve. <laughs> and it just it feels like there are just so many beloved people for whom Christ died who are not hearing the message of God's grace. Mm-hmm. And that breaks my heart. Amen. Yeah. One of the things we talked about in the last episode was philosophical shifts that took place from the Enlightenment rationalism, romanticism, liberal theology, and how throughout the 19th and into the 20th century, we see this move away from the metaphysics of the ancient church, the metaphysics employed by the reformers to do theology. And we see philosophy almost warring against sound doctrine. And one of the points we made was that this union with Christ, which we argued was sort of the center of Calvin's theology, was sort of decentered in the mainline Protestant churches through the German schools and that influence. And so seeing that kind of decentering of Christ, union with Christ, the doctrine of God, you know, churches are just seen as moral communities. And that's where we saw that great divorce between true things about God and Christ for us and for our salvation and caring for people and becoming better versions of ourselves and everything. And so this idea of moral communities devoid of doctrine, that's where it came from. And even the conservative churches today who do maybe look back at the Reformation and say, that's our heritage, or we want to affirm scripture, we're Bible churches and these types of things, they still are sort of infiltrated with this modern philosophical notions and assumptions that prevent them from seeing the clear connections that the reformers saw that are in scripture, that we don't divide these things out. And so I've really appreciated your work on this subject, Ben, as you've 
written some great articles, but would you mind just sharing with our listeners just how you've seen some of this divide and some of the ways that you see the Reformation, especially in the Anglican context, sort of unifying that? Yeah, that's a, a great question. I mean, it reminds me, actually, I was having a conversation with Ashley Knoll, who's a Cranmer scholar a couple of months ago. Great guy, highly, highly Absolutely. recommend his work. And he and I were, were saying, and I, you know, we're talking about this, and he said to me that, you know, so often it feels like your choice is either a right-wing moralism or a left-wing moralism, but but either way, yeah. at the end of the day, it's moralism. Again, right? two sides I, of the ditch, you know? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I think that's just such a challenge for, for the church today. I mean, I think it's, I mean, it's always been a challenge for the church, right? I mean, I think this is one of the ways where the reformers, and I think Luther in particular is good on this, although Calvin too, though, this sort of constant desire for, for self-justification, this sense that, no, no, we, we don't just need to sort of receive like beggars, we have something to contribute. And so we construct more or less sophisticated theological and philosophical systems to prove that we do, in fact, have something to contribute and some role to play. And, you Every, know, I everybody think, always wants skin in the game, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. And I mean, I think, frankly, you know, especially when you sort of talk about the particular challenges of modernity, you know, mm-hmm. in, in a moment in which the metaphysical or and supernatural claims that Christianity makes are strange to, to, to a lot more people that have seen less plausible, you know, there's this temptation to say, well, yes, but like, we help you become a better person. Isn't that great? You know, isn't, isn't that a good reason to sort of be a part of our community? And as I said earlier, I mean, if that's really all we have to offer. You can find that in know, a lot of other go places. Go to therapy. Yeah, uh, right. <laughs> Yeah. Go go listen to a motivational speaker. The Christian message, and this is really at the heart of what we're saying, is not do better or help yourself. Or it's he is risen. He is risen That's indeed. Right. Hallelujah. That's right. We have a public proclamation of Christ crucified and risen, the incarnate and resurrected Christ who died for our sins according to Scripture. This is the heart of our proclamation. And as we're saying, it is comforting and it's intended to be comforting in pastoral care has at the heart of it Christ. But the church has struggled to proclaim Christ. I mean, Michael Horton even wrote a book, Christless Christianity, to address this problem. And so just getting back to that center, we're reclaiming the Reformation because they recovered the center of Christ for you. Yeah, that's really well said, right? Because of course, there's a call to holiness in Scripture. Of course, sanctification, you know, sort of matters and is real and all of these things. But it has to be understood rightly and sort of situated rightly within the Christian proclamation as a whole, which, as you just said, Brad, the center of that is Christ crucified and risen for us. That's right. Amen. That's right. Everything that we've said in this episode, it reminds me of something my pastor that I had, a PCA pastor that I had when I lived in Utah. He would say this very often. There are so many people that don't like theology. They don't like doctrine. That's too hoity-toity or too high or seminarian or whatever you want to call it. But he's like, theology and doctrine is all we got. (laughs) The gospel is all we have. You can't do life as a Christian without rightly understood sound doctrine and theology. You just can't do it. Like you said, you're going to be flailing around trying to figure everything out on your own. And for those of you, our listeners, that you're like, I don't like all that doctrinal stuff. It's so boring and dry, and I want the practical stuff. I want the rubber meets the road. Well, I'm telling you what, what we're telling you right now in the gospel, that's the rubber meets the road. The gospel and resting in that is rubber meets the road. Amen. Trusting and resting in Christ, that's the rubber meets the road, not your 10 steps to living a better life or to have your best life now. And that is not the gospel. 
The gospel is Christ for you. Christ for you. That's it. And everybody Amen. always thinks, man, that's too simple. No. <laughs> it's, it, yeah, the gospel is simple, but it is deeper and wider than anything that Amen. you can imagine. It is what brings you hope and healing and comfort and Amen. heals your brokenness. And that is our message to you today on this episode. Theology, doctrine, it matters. It matters immensely. But for those of you, my listeners, that that's the only thing that matters to you, and you don't care about the heart of the broken and the heart of the suffering, you're missing it. Mm -hmm. Because that's who Jesus was. He said to the broken and the hurting, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. My burden is easy and light. Find rest for your souls in me. I am gentle and lowly at heart. Christ loves you. Doctrine is important, and it is important to have right doctrine. But you should be using that doctrine to bring consolation and comfort to the broken because that is what Christ's heart is, and that should be the heart of his people. And pastors and ministers and priests and bishops, that should be your heart for your people. Because that's the heart of your God. Brothers, this has been a great conversation. Man, praise the Lord for the gospel. Am I right? Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Ben, thank you so much for joining us. I, this was kind of short notice, <laughs> but Brad did the legwork, and we're just very thankful that you came on, man. Thank you so much. If you'd like to share anything else as far as uh, links or anything that you can point people to, I'll be putting this in the show notes as well. But if there's anything you'd like to share, go ahead and share that now. Yeah, thank you so much. Really a pleasure to get to talk with you. Yeah, I mean, I I mentioned my Substack already. That's a good place to read my writing. It's a it's a blog. You know, I also wrote recently, which I'll uh, also give to you so you can put in the show notes. My wife, who's also a McGill PhD student in ecclesiastical history, she and I wrote a piece on assurance in Luther and Mm -hmm. Calvin, which I think might be of interest to you and your listeners. Yeah, for Um, sure. But yeah, thanks so much for the opportunity to come and chat with you. Yeah, praise Um, the Lord. Do you mind if I, uh, my last word, I can't do better than the communion service. Can I read the comfortable words that, that you mentioned? That, yes. in my opinion, would be awesome. <laughs> so these are the words that I say every week in the communion liturgy after people confess their sins and receive the pronouncement of the absolution. And then I say this, hear what comfortable words our Savior Christ saith unto all that truly turn to him. Come unto me all that travail and are heavy laden and I will refresh you. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to the end that all that believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Hear also what St. Paul saith. This is a true saying and worthy of all men to be received, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Hear also what St. John saith. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation for our sins. Amen. Amen. I'd love to hear that every Sunday. <laughs> I mean, we got a pretty good communion service, but that's good stuff right there. Uh, hallelujah. Well, Brother Brad, it's so good to have you here again today for us to have this conversation. And really, you were the, the driving force behind setting this episode up. So I'm very thankful for you, brother. Yeah, well, I mean, 
when I discovered Ben's writing and heard him on another podcast, I realized right away that we were kindred spirits and, and I needed him to speak on our podcast because what he was recovering is the heart of theology for the broken church. It's the whole premise of what we do, that sound doctrine gives us Christ and Christ gives us comfort. Amen. And and then it's so awesome because like actually that article you co-authored with your wife, I already shared that in the Theocast Facebook group and it was just being loved on. Oh, so many amazing. great quotes in there. So many just great things. So the Broken Vessels podcast community, the Theocast Facebook community, they're already loving your work. And I just wanted to give you more exposure to our listeners. Amen. So yeah, well, thank, thank you, you. and. And thank you so much for the you know, incredibly important work that the two of you are doing. I'm thankful for your voice and for this space to talk about the heart of the gospel being Christ who brings comfort because he is for us. Amen. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters in Christ, I just want to thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Theology for the Broken Church with the Broken Vessels podcast with my buddy Brad Kafer. We are so thankful for the way that you support our ministry, the way you pray for us. And I hope, by God's grace, that we are pointing you in the right direction to understand sound doctrine and theology rightly and understand your hope and your consolation is in Jesus Christ. We'll see you for our next regular episode of the Broken Vessels podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. (laughs) 